Recently, someone told me about a research study concerning films. Uh, what the research was about is they went through a large number of movies over quite a few years and they tried to find out, they did find out, what was the most frequently used phrase in all these films. <laughs> and the phrase that, uh, that won uh, overwhelmingly was the phrase that something like, let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> When I first heard that, you know, I just, uh, I realized why our job is so difficult. Because <laughs> we're, we're saying all the time, let's stay a while. Now, let's get out of here. Um, to some degree, must be representative of something that's going on. I mean, the films are, to some degree, pointing to a, um, a situation, a quality that we have where somehow spend a lot of time wanting to get out of where we are, wherever that is. And it shows up over and over and over again in films. Um, If we just start on a very conventional level, just ordinary level, we can see this. Uh, It permeates the culture. Many of you know all this. You've seen it. The bumper sticker phenomenon, so many of them, Uh, are really on this theme. I'd rather be golfing, I'd rather be fishing, I'd rather be skiing. I haven't seen one yet which says, I'd rather be exactly where I am. (laughs) Maybe one of you can create that. Uh, Or people are walking down the street uh, with headphones on. So they're tuning out where they are. They'd rather not be there. But since they are walking, at least they can escape through listening to music or how to, how to, one person, how to speak French while he was walking down the street. And I asked him, what are you listening to? It's a language course on how to speak French. <laughs> I don't think this is just Harvard Square. I think it's uh, around. So a lot of um, what we're attempting to learn during this retreat, and for those of you who are relatively new, it's an attitude change that in some ways is revolutionary uh, based on, if it's so, that so much of our just natural instinct is to get away from where we are, who we're with. Uh, It's either too hot out when it's hot, then we've got to get out of there and get to someplace cool. And then just in a short time, I've heard it in my own family, uh, now it's uh, too cool, let's get to someplace hot. Uh, and then when the heat's upon us, it'll be the other way around. So somehow um, it runs through a lot of what we're doing and there's suffering involved, clearly. Uh, we're, we seem to be trying to find the perfect situation uh, to get perfect comfort, uh, find the perfect person. Uh, 
something. But anyway, there's something motivating us to do this. So on that level, it's pretty obvious, but it gets to be, as you get more subtle, um, and it turns up on the retreat, probably already you've been through some of this. Uh, If you have a a yogi job that isn't to your liking, uh, let's say you're washing dishes and you you don't really like to do that. You're assigned to the dishwasher or pots. Let's call it, say, pots. Dishwasher is mechanized. Maybe that's a little bit more pleasant now. I don't know. Well, it can be pure drudgery if every day as you turn up to do the pots, part of your mind is divided. The part of your mind is separate from the doing of the pots. And you'd rather be out walking because it's so beautiful out, or you'd rather just be sitting or in your room relaxing. But there you are doing that. Um, So it it may have turned up in some of your situations here. Those of you who are new, if you've not done a retreat like this and we're just beginning, probably this might make more sense to you when we get to the midway point. You think it gets better. It does, and then it gets worse. It gets everything, really. Um, When we're sitting, sometimes uh, we just can't wait for the bell to ring because we're uncomfortable. We just want to get out of there, out of here. And walking meditation looks awfully good. Then we get to the walking meditation, we start doing it, and suddenly we realize, oh, this is one of those 45-minute walkings. <laughs> so we put a holy look on our face, and we uh, steal 15 minutes from it by going to get a cup of tea. Right? As we very mindfully, or we look as if we're mindful. <laughs> we make our way to the urn, and <laughs> I don't know what's going on inside your mind, but uh, you don't want to look like you're doing something criminal. So you cut it down to a half an hour, and so I thought the walking was so great. You were looking forward to it because the sitting was so bad. Finally, the 45 minutes is gone. You get back to sitting, and, and so it goes, but it gets more subtle. Just the breath itself. The instructions are straightforward, simple enough. Be with the breath. And there clearly are preferences in the mind to get out of there. That is, the breath is not where... The mind isn't a unified thing. I mean, it's, there are these different mind states coming and going endlessly. And by now you must know that many of them have no interest whatsoever in being with the breath. <laughs> they want to get out of there and fast. And in a way, can you blame those mind states? I mean, until the practice changes, it's like uh, a choice between water, you know, even nice spring water. I mean, the, the breath is a little bit on the neutral side to begin with. It's not the most colorful member of the mind or, or of a being. Of course, it, it changes over time, but let's say for many of us right now, uh, and it's, would you rather have a glass of spring water or let's say a chocolate sundae. 
I mean, whatever the version is for you. You'd want something that has more color, more flavor, more excitement, more interest than just in, out, in, out, in, out, in, out. Would you rather see a documentary film on the eating habits of North American squirrels? (laughs) Or Pulp Fiction? (laughs) Well, Pulp Fiction is the mind. I mean, that is... What's going on in the mind has just got much more uh, interest. It's fantastic. It's a real soap opera. Our story, ongoing, incredibly creative, never runs out of material, although it seems, if you're here for a while, you see it seems it does run out of material. (laughs) (laughs) But that doesn't stop it from putting the same performance on over and over and over. He said that, and I said it. When I get back off this retreat, I'm going to tell him just what I think. When I get off this retreat, I'm going to tell him just what I think. When I get off this retreat, I'm going to tell him just what I think. (laughs) And uh, a lot of what we're suggesting, you hear us say things like, uh, the heart of the practice is what is, be with the way things are. Take physical pain when you're with the body. Uh, do you, let's say if there is physical pain in your body, or I should say when there is physical pain in the body, um, do you look at it? Do you, are you mindful of it uh, in order to get rid of it or to see deeply into its true nature? Probably to get rid of it. But the practice is to see deeply into its true nature, is to look deeply into pain. Now that's not something on our own most of us would do. It's not an exercise in sadism or masochism, rather. This is a whole art to learning how to do it. And then once you do it, it can be quite profound and fascinating when you begin to see what pain is made up of. The physical sensations and then how the mind uh, adds to it and creates torment out of it. So we have a hard time uh, being with lots of physical and emotional states with situations, there are too many people, there are not enough people, temperature. Uh, there's almost no end to it, so it's no wonder it shows up in the movie. A lot of our life is trying to get away from someplace to someplace else that's supposedly better. And it's exhausting. Now, what is being suggested here is not some kind of uh, philosophy of fatalism that just... Uh, let the world just walk right over you and just sit there mindfully and, and uh, note it or breathe in and breathe out as, as the world does that to you. Uh, so I want to make sure there isn't a misunderstanding. For example, if this hall should catch fire, I mean, a real fire break out, I hope I would be the first one to scream, let's get out of here. I would. Because you always need wisdom to understand what's happening. Yet, so much of our life is driven to get away from things. There is such a compulsion to do it, unexamined. So much of the fear we have is there because of an inability to take a look at ourselves. It takes a while to realize what an undiscovered continent each one of us is. We think, especially those of us who are reasonably well-educated and so forth, that we really have a good understanding of ourselves. And it takes a while to develop certain humility 
You don't have to develop it. The sitting does it. If you sit long enough, uh, you either quit or you develop a certain humility. But this self-understanding or self-knowledge has really quite a depth to it. That is, unless you're Narayan's father. Can I tell that story? (laughs) Some years ago, well, none of our parents really were thrilled that we turned in this direction. (laughs) You know, as you left, whatever it is you left, or maybe you haven't yet. I'm not saying you will. Don't worry. Don't get scared. Some people actually stay in the life they're in and keep meditating. But a fair number jump ship, it seems, and start meditating a lot. Um, at any rate, her father was not too happy that she was going to all these retreats. He didn't fully know what it was, but he knew it, what it meant is that he couldn't spend time with her. So it was very loving. Uh, one time, you know, he said, well, what are these? He was trying to get her to not go on the retreat and to stay home. Well, what do you do on these retreats? What is it all about? And he said, well, we go there to get to know ourselves. So he said, um, oh, why didn't you tell me? I can tell you anything you want to know about yourself. <laughs> Be nice, because our parents could fill us in and we don't have to have painful knees and all the rest of it. I guess it doesn't work that way. So, over and over again, we say it in different ways. We are trying to help you uh, at least sometimes break some new ground where the impulse to escape is so powerful and we don't even know it's an escape. Where, if anything, is the least bit... In other words, we we want a world that will fully go along with our ideals and our dreams. It's totally coordinated with all of our wishes and that will provide us with everything that we want. And the world insists on being exactly the way it is. And sometimes it coincides, but very, very often it doesn't. And so we can spend the rest of our life fighting this powerful energy called life. We can begin to understand it, and to understand it, uh, you have to stop. You have to slow down a little bit in this sense. If you want to get to know someone, you have to spend time with them. If you want to get to know those squirrels, you have to spend time. You have to observe them, really watch what happens. Any realm that you have an interest in requires attention and time. So certainly, understanding ourselves does. And yet there are a huge number of events that make up consciousness that we don't want to go near. Or we relate to it in ways that are not too useful, it turns out. It seems as if we're dealing with it in an intelligent way, but uh, perhaps not. (coughs) The teaching of being with the way things are, that's the way it is, is can be used as a reflection to get you to contemplate what's happening to you rather than to always react to what's happening to you. Because we have the mechanical reactions to things that happen to us. And just uh, the phrase, just this is the way it is, sometimes try it. Now and then, don't overdo it, but now and then use it, reflect on it. Um, it's just the way it is at this moment. That can 
help you to look at it, to learn from it. And so the whole point is not some kind of fatalism or passivity, but to develop understanding and wisdom in a realm that exhausts us because we spend so much time and energy trying to get out of there, get out of here. Uh, the turning point or a turning point in practice, at least in my own practice, and I've seen it now for others, it's just one way of explaining it. It's by no means the only way. We spend so much energy avoiding states that we don't like. Or even the way the breath is if we don't like it. We spend a lot of time and effort doing that. The escapes take up a tremendous amount of energy. An escape can be suppression. An escape can be denial. An escape can be an elaborate, very rich, and in some, to some degree satisfying intellectual explanation as to what's happening. But you're still not in touch with what's happening. You just rationalized it away and it protects you. It's a, a buffer between you and it. Or something that we human beings do so much of, we put up with things. We cope. I think that's one word. It sounds a little better. But the practice isn't about coping. That may be on the way, but it's going well beyond that. Coping is also very tiring. It's a kind of struggle. There's a kind of contraction there. And so what is it that, what is the direction that the, the practice is suggesting we move in? And this is the letting go of all the contraction all the evasion, seeing the network of escapes that we have for anything that's unpleasant and beginning to uh, see the cost of it, that it really doesn't work, that there is no escape. There's no, there really is no such thing as an escape. Now that sounds awful. I mean, there's no escape. But really, when you get it, that there is no escape, it can be tremendously liberating because then you settle down and begin to do the work of the practice. And that's what I meant. The energy that, in one sense, from the point of view that I'm speaking, all of that energy that went into denial, repression, explanations, avoidance, etc., etc., that's all a wasted energy. Now, what if that energy, instead of being used for all these escapes, now, if you feel the escapes work, by all means, keep doing it. But perhaps the day comes where you realize that it's um, hopeless, that escape does not work. Then you can come to what we're talking about from your own intelligence, not as an ideology, not because the Buddha said or anyone else said. That doesn't last. I found that to be pretty weak, even if you have strong faith. You have to really see it. When you begin to see that escapes don't work, Tremendous energy comes from that. And if that energy can be transferred to the looking, uh, it's formidable. Now everything becomes workable because you have tremendous power. The human brain, all of us as persons, we have tremendous energy. And I think a lot of what the problem is is how we use it. We're able to do magnificent things, but we're not magnificent when it comes to our own self-development. The human race I'm talking about. Uh, our track record is not very good. 
again, to not go into uh, blaming this, that, or the other, or cultural uh, diagnoses. On an individual level, when the day comes that you can begin to see uh, the virtue in facing yourself, and you do it out of understanding, understanding, as I'm using it here, is at the heart of all wisdom practices. And it's not uh, cerebral. Although probably all of us know there's a certain burst of enthusiasm and uh, energy and joy that can come from an intellectual understanding. When you get something, let's say you've been working with a particular thinker or a book that's difficult and you finally get it, it's fulfilling. No question about it. But the kind of fulfillment I'm talking about is direct seeing. When you see it uh, intimately, it's not intellectual. Uh, it's like when you're a hungry person. You've been hungry for a while and finally someone gives you a good meal. It's that kind of fulfillment. The understanding um, is something that the whole person, the whole body grasps. Oh, this absolutely escape doesn't work. And you see it for yourself. Not in agreement with uh, some teaching because you have a good logical mind or it makes sense or you respect the teacher. But on your very own, you take a look and in a, in a given moment you see that escape doesn't work. Well, could it be that facing it works? Now, of course, that's the premise that this whole practice is based on. To really simplify it, the Buddha is saying that suffering is caused by ignorance. Ignorance means to ignore. We ignore the way things are. And as a result, it's lawful. We're condemned to suffer over and over and over and over again. Four noble truths, suffering comes from craving, ignorant craving. We don't understand the way things are and we grasp at things as being me and mine. We grasp at consciousness or the body or possessions or a person or ideas or views or opinions or anything really. It could be a, a sporting team as being me or mine. And because we attach to it, upadana, very important term to know, uh, suffering follows, just like a burn follows from putting your hand in, in fire. So the suffering, even prior to the, the clinging, comes something else, which is ignorance, that is, we don't really see. Well, if it's so, that because we ignore the way things are, we suffer so much, then perhaps if we reverse that, instead of ignoring the way things are, we begin to pay attention. We start to really take a look at the way things are. And that's, uh, I think, what the Buddha is saying over and over and over again in very beautiful and brilliant ways. It comes down to that. And then there's the whole art of looking and listening, learning how to do that. It's one thing to agree and saying, yes, ignorance could never be any good. It's never helped anyone. And that if I could only pay attention, which means looking and listening, both outwardly and inwardly, again, 
at some thing, at an event that we have not done much with, and that's ourselves. Sounds sensible, intelligent, plausible, even wise, but how do you do it? Because uh, it seems like the strongest urge we have is quite different, and that urge is, let's get out of here. Let's take our mind off it. Let's try to find a new person, a new situation, a new uh, restaurant, a new outfit, a new hairdo, a new career, a new meditation uh, form, a new meditation center, and so forth. What we're attempting to do here, one of the things, is to keep things very simple. I really meant what I was saying. It's a low-budget film here. There's not much going on. Uh, it gets less as we go on. And then what's really going on is you. And I hope you, those of you who are newer to this, you realize that you have a very precious opportunity in having almost 10 days with so little really being asked of you except to be with yourself, to be with the way it is for you in this moment, from moment to moment. Seeing how you don't want to do that, how you hate it. That's okay. Now, at the beginning, I don't know how you get faith in this, but I imagine you have to jump in and at least do it and and begin to see that uh, this suggestion, which apparently isn't that well received. Corrado Pensa, who teaches in Italy, says it's exactly the same there as here. Whereas people are not thrilled with the teaching of pay attention to the way it is. Somehow in Italy either, they're not uh, jumping up and down with joy. There are other aspects of the teaching which are flashier, which capture our attention more. But that skill of just being with things just because they're there. I mean, you're with something because it's your life in that moment. That's why you're with it. Uh, it doesn't, uh, it has, doesn't have that many takers in Italy either. Agreement with the words is one thing. But uh, the faith I'm talking about or the confidence is that you see all the different mind states that we're avoiding, all the different different physical conditions that we're avoiding. Uh, The confidence that I'm talking about is that everything that we need to awaken is already here in us. Those states contain gems. The energy that is in those frozen forms can be released. And it's awareness that releases it. I don't think we quite have that faith. And what I'm talking about is not the more obvious, dramatic, sitting in a Buddha-like position, which is very easy to, at least for, for many of us, to understand the value of, but to truly grasp that some of the worst situations that happen to you while you're here, if you just flip it around and begin to practice with it, learn how to approach it, even if you get thrown on your whatchamacallit. It's all right. You pick yourself up and you come back again softly, gently. Little by little, you begin to see that it's all workable and it makes all the difference. But when that faith becomes strong or confidence, or maybe it's a different word, 
uh, it becomes much easier to be with these states that are so unpopular because we know what's in them. We know from our own experience. We've learned. Uh, and we've also learned that it can be done. It's not at all impossible. It's another art that can be learned like so many other subjects that you've mastered in school. Only you're the subject here. It's a very important one. Um, Let me begin. I don't think I'll be able to finish it this evening, especially for those of you who are new here, to give you an overview. Uh, Sometimes it helps people to to get a sense of uh, a bigger picture of what all this fits into. The Sutra on the Full Awareness of Breathing, Anapanasati, uh, is just one version of what you could call the Declaration of Independence of Buddhism, which is the Satipatthana Sutra. And this is the teaching on the four foundations of mindfulness. It's the basic teaching of the Buddha on meditation. The four foundations of mindfulness, and those of you who are new to this tradition, you will hear the term Satipatthana again and again. The four foundations of mindfulness are the body itself. These are realms to come to, to familiarize ourselves with, to learn about, and to free ourselves of attachment from. So there's the life of the body. What is this body? How is it, just what the way things are, how is it for your body right at this moment? Not, don't tell me, and you don't have to put it in words, just... Right now, is it heavy, light, comfortable, uncomfortable? You can feel it, just the way it is, that raw isness of it. The second uh, realm of attention is feeling. All day long, we're feeling one thing or another. Things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Sometimes they're very pleasant, sometimes mild. Sometimes they're extraordinarily unpleasant, excruciating. Sometimes just a little bit of discomfort. And neutrality is sort of neither. And that's happening all day long as the world comes in through all the sense doors. Sounds are greeted and they have a certain flavor in that moment. It's happening very fast and it has tremendous implications. The third realm, uh, mental formations, is everything else about mind. The very rich uh, aspect of what minds do what your mind does and what my mind does. And so those three realms, those three satipatthanas, the foundations of mindfulness are developed at first familiarizing ourselves with them. And then the fourth, uh, one vital, I would say the most important aspect of the fourth, especially in the, the Breath Awareness Sutra that we're working with, has to do with seeing the lawfulness or is this the lawfulness of nature, but seeing it in us, the lawfulness of those realms. Uh, What is the nature of the body? What is the nature of feelings? What is the nature of mental formations? And as we look more carefully and more deeply, uh, what do we see? What uh, finally can we learn about the nature of the mind and the body? It's the mind-body process. So that's 
what the Buddha was talking about in the very first teaching he gave on meditation, which informs all the different schools of Buddhism. Anapanasati is concerned with these four realms, the only difference being that it uses the breath to help you unlock these secrets of nature. The others use the breath too to get calm and to get concentrated and then you drop the breath and you're just mindful and discerning. Discernment comes a little later as you begin to see into the nature of things. In the sutra we're working with, the breath is not only used to get calm and concentrated and we've been doing that since last evening. We've done it all today. We'll continue on for a few days. How long? I don't know. There's no absolute on this, but roughly when we feel uh, people have settled down a bit, again, it's not standardized, and that's why the interviews are important. We are going to try to get to know all of you and your practice because uh, we're not trying to clone anyone, and it wouldn't work anyway. The whole point is uh, to develop a kind of awareness and there are many ways to develop it. And so as we get to know you, perhaps we can be helpful. But in this particular sutra, the breath is used. Um, according to the Buddha, the Buddha attained enlightenment using the breath. This was the practice the Buddha used when he attained enlightenment. Now, I don't mean that this is better than other methods. I honestly don't, having done a fair number of other methods. But it is a very simple, natural, and good method. Uh, and to the degree we can, we can trust the writings, uh, the Buddha is saying that the breath can be can take you there. Conscious breathing can take you there. Now, maybe we need to hear that someone like the Buddha says it. Because on its own, the breath is so unassuming. We even get bored with it a lot. We're bored with something which, if it weren't there, we wouldn't be around to be bored we'd be what is called dead. So in a certain way, it's no surprise that sensitivity to, that awareness of, that insight into breathing, which is life itself, how could that not be related to something profound? How could that not take you deeper and deeper into the source of something, of this? So, what we'll be doing as a group and also uh, individually, and we don't expect everyone to proceed according to some standardized schedule. We have to use some of that, including a schedule, just because there are a lot of us. But uh, we're quite open to individuals uh, learning the art of developing their own practice. The materials will be the same. Mindfulness is essential. The willingness to learn is essential. And so as the days unfold, uh, the emphasis so far has been on the breath. And perhaps you've learned a little bit about your body as well. How could you not? The breath is part of the body. You've also learned all these things that I've mentioned, but our emphasis will... uh, shift a bit as you calm down, as we all calm down a bit. So in a little while, perhaps uh, there'll be more um, discussion and encouragement to look at feelings, not only the, the breathing. 
different bodily states, feelings, and then the wide variety of mind states that are called mental formations, which is like the heart of self-knowledge and self-understanding. And as we, this is the, the guide, guideline, as we more and more become familiar with these realms, the realm of the body, the realm of feelings, the realm of mental formations, as we become a little bit more at home with each of these, as we spend more time, learn how to approach it, learn how not to be so afraid. We need to be free to look. How can we learn if we're not free to look and yet we're, we're terrified? And so we have to edge towards that, looking at how frightened we are at knowing certain things. And little by little, seeing how much of fear is just thinking. Not grounded in anything really made up by the mind and it's strong because of the lack of awareness. And as we start to look carefully at the variety of mind states and bodily conditions, so many things that have been problematic uh, decompose. They're not quite what we thought they were. And that's only because we look closely and see what it, what's there. And all of us practicing together tremendous strength if we take advantage of it. There's perhaps none of us alone could do what I'm suggesting, but yet together we have the strength, the encouragement, um, that it's all workable. That this is a practice for human beings like ourselves who have suffering, who do get attached, who don't understand why they suffer, but the fact that you're here shows that you are ready, willing, and I think able to do something about it. And the doing something about it, a lot of it is doing nothing, but with great sensitivity, a keen interest in this nothing. Nothing is just learn the art of allowing, learn the breath. We're starting right off with something simple, relatively. Can we let the breath just breathe itself without imposing ideal patterns on it? Some of you may have been done years of pranayama and maybe you're trying to get the breath to be ideal. That's useful too. But what you won't learn is how to just be with each breath no matter how it is. The breaths that are vivid and deep and a joy to breathe and those that aren't. Can the awareness become unwavering, not so um, enslaved to like and dislike much more equanimous, more able to face whatever is there simply because it is there. Finally, those of you who have read Buddhist books know that as this capacity to, to pay attention becomes more stable, has more strength and pliability to it, as it more is a real, as we're fit, as the mind is really fit to investigate, we begin to see that everything is impermanent. We already know that, but we don't know it in the marrow of our bones. And clear seeing helps us get it. And just a hair away from that, if we can begin to see how everything is impermanent, we can also begin to see how everything is empty, which doesn't mean worthless but we can see that 
it lacks an enduring core. Now, for those of you who are very new, this might sound strange, but I'm assuming many of you have some ideas to what I'm talking about. Those are the crown jewels of the practice. Insight into impermanence at first may seem like bad news, but unless we learn to embrace impermanence, how can we ever get free? If it's true that everything is impermanent, and coping is not going to do it, theorizing won't do it, philosophizing won't do it. Finally, it comes down to can we embrace this law, which is self-evident, ongoing, and shows no sign of being repealed. (laughs) So freedom comes from that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.